Can you, can you believe we're halfway through January already? No. Is that crazy or what? Should I remind us? Uh, oh, yeah, and also go Cowboys. Go Cowboys, right? <laughs> Let's go. So uh, Davey mentioned prayer, and I, and I love that illustration with uh, Spurgeon. It was also said of uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. See, we're getting all historical on you today. Mary, Queen of Scots says, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the army of a thousand men. John Knox was a reformer who uh, was part of just eagerly spreading the gospel across the 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 region of Europe, and, and his influence still lingers today. But isn't it amazing to think about the fact, and we just sang in this song, right? Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And the battle belongs to the Lord. If you think about this, this idea that um, we have a God who is more than able to accomplish his, his plans, and, 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 and he's more than powerful enough to take care of us. And I think we lose sight of that, don't we? We lose sight of it, and that's perhaps why we have the scriptures. That's why we have the book of Exodus, which we're, we're in the, this morning. Turn to, turn to Exodus chapter 1. There's a famous quote that says, Those that do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I'm glad some of you are, are educated. You, you must have went to public school, so good job on that. Uh, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And, and not only do we think about that, in, in context of our short history, perhaps as a nation, perhaps we as God's people have lost sight of the power of our God to deliver. Perhaps we've lost sight of the fact that we are in circumstances and situations in our lives and we're really questioning why we're there and what's going on and is, has God forgotten about me and is he truly in control and the whole litany of, of questions we ask because it seems like we're slowly sinking into discouragement and despair and depression because it seems like our God is not working. He's, he's absent. Um, we are in Exodus because one of the reasons that God has given us Exodus is to remind us of the power of our God. We as humanity are prone to be forgetful. We are, we are prone to, to just be a people in this world that act like our neighbor and everyone else as if we don't have God. But here's the thing, church. We have God. And the question is, how is that, how is that relationship made evident in our lives, in our trust? Right? What, what sets us apart uh, when, when things happen, when difficulties uh, arrive at our doorstep? You know, are, are we the type of people that are living such lives where there's a, there's a ruler by the name of Mary, Queen of Scots, who says, I fear the prayers of that person because I see God doing something through them, through the, more, than, more than the uh, army of a thousand people. You know, Exodus brings us back to this reminder that there is opposition. There are forces allied that are against what God wants to do. And all I know is his people were called to be set apart and to be different. Our song is, the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Our song is, our God can stand against any power because he's more powerful. So perhaps Exodus is a, is a reminder of who God is. Perhaps Exodus is a reminder of how God works. And perhaps Exodus is a reminder of who we are called to be as his people. So turn to Exodus chapter 1 last week. If you missed it, we did an introduction. And, um, and the introduction really was centered around this idea of Exodus, um, the character of Moses, the familiar scenes that are found in the book, and, and how we get to, as a church, once again, go to this text and understand this rich history so that it can serve as a reminder that the, the early uh, group of Israel could be examples to us of what to do and what not to do. All scripture is not necessarily written about us, but it's written for us. And we can learn a lot of lessons, and right out of the gate, we're in chapter 1 today, and we get to look at uh, the fact that uh, there was this guy named Joseph who, uh, who dies, and all of a sudden enters a, the, the Israel enters this new era in Egypt. 
And some of you are like familiar with Exodus simply because of Charlton Heston and his grand performance in the Ten Commandments. Maybe your knowledge of Exodus is, is you know, the prince of Egypt and, you know, the, the cartoonish way they portrayed uh, Moses and Pharaoh and great movie, love it tons. And, uh, but maybe some of you are, it's, it's foreign. And I hope that over these next, I don't know how long we're going to be in Exodus, but I hope it's a, it serves as something fresh. I hope God's spirit uses a way to show us some things about him and us and how we can trust a God to deliver. Because ultimately Moses is a picture of a greater deliverer whose name is Jesus. And that you can trust Jesus. And so let's, let's get into the text, if you would. Exodus chapter 1. Uh, Davey, I sent some verses that we'll use this morning. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go back to Genesis because that's what really we did last week is Exodus is a continuation of Genesis. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, number one, we're glad you're here. Number two, we want to get you familiar with it. Here's the easy thing about the Bible and what we're talking about this morning is Genesis is the first book. And then second book is Exodus. And we looked at the word that's not in our English Bibles, and, because and is a connecting word, and that's the very first book of Exodus. So for, just for a recap, how did Israel end up in Egypt? Because this is the account. And if you remember, it was because of a, of a man named Joseph, who in Genesis was the favorite one of his, of his siblings. And uh, I mentioned last week, rule number one as a parent, don't play favorites with your kids. It has disastrous results. Can I get an amen from somebody? Um, don't play favorites with your kids. Uh, Jacob played favorite with, uh, his favorite was jo Joseph. The brothers didn't like this. And so there's the four F's we talked about last week, the, the, how Israel got to Egypt. Father, favoritism, famine, and forgiveness. So there's a father who showed favoritism. Favoritism didn't land well with the brothers. The brothers said, let's get rid of our brother. And so they were going to throw him in a pit and just let him die and get mauled by animals. But instead they go, wait, we can make some money off our, our brother. That's what sibling love, show, how it manifests itself. So they sell the brother. He ends up in Egypt. Uh, he enters uh, as a slave in Egypt himself. But his wisdom and his know-how of just remaining faithful to his God, but yet being a presence of something good in a foreign context, which is what we're going to talk about today, allowed him to rise the ranks of politics and eventually become prime minister of Egypt, second in command. And he had dreams, uh, the Pharaoh had dreams that Joseph interpreted, that there was a famine that was going to be coming across the land. And he said, Pharaoh, I think it would be wise to save some grain. And no one else had this wisdom. And so all the nations that surrounded Egypt came to Egypt when that famine happened. And who was in that great parade of people coming into Egypt, Joseph's family, who he hadn't seen in years. And they are coming to him for safety and security and for food. He recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. And there they are in the scene in Genesis, right, where they're sitting at the table, and he basically discloses himself to them. And they're like, wait, you're alive? And then they're thinking, oh, no, revenge stinks, Right, like we're going to be on the, 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 the wrong end of this stick. And he forgives his brothers, and he invites the family to come live in Egypt. And so we get to, to, to Egypt, and we get to Exodus. And if you look at verse 1 here, it says, Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. And they came, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and, and all the persons who came from his loins of, the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. So what's really cool is in Genesis chapter 46, verse 8, that's really the opening of Exodus chapter 1. The same phrase that Israel and all the sons are eventually going to go to Egypt. And there it is, Exodus 46. Right? Now, these are the names of the descendants right, who came to Egypt. So it's interesting that the writer says you need to see the continuity there. And in Genesis 46, earlier, you can look at it later, it says, do not fear going to Egypt. 
You might be scared going to a foreign nation. You might be a little bit trepidation. There might be some trepidation there, but go. You're going to find safety there. And so we see that the, 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 the tribe, the sons, the family has come. And this is our first blank that we need to talk about as we enter the book of Exodus. And that is we see Israel's promise and, and Pharaoh's favor. The reason these people found fair, favor in Pharaoh's eyes was just what a good representative Joseph was of his people. Right? Let me just tell you, when you are a wise person, when you live in a foreign context and your desires to honor God, sometimes that, that wins favor with people who may not agree with you. Pharaoh had his own gods. Pharaoh thought he himself was a god. He didn't share the same worldview. He didn't listen to the same Christian music that Joseph listened to. He didn't watch all the Christian movies. He didn't read all the Christian books. Pharaoh had his own deal, deal going on. But you know what he did? He respected Pharaoh. And that's why he was favorable toward him. And the influence and the impact that, that Joseph had in Egypt cannot be overstated. See, the promise, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, if you remember, it says this. Verse 1, God says, to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Now that phrase is important because the great nation is what's being created in the book of Exodus. So you have a great man and a great family, Abraham, in Genesis, but you don't have a great nation until Exodus. But notice this, and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You may have heard me say this here at Missio. We've been blessed, ladies and gentlemen, to be a blessing. And I'm going to remind us of this because this is important. Because in a way, we are foreigners and strangers in a foreign land. Okay? But you are here and you're blessed by God to be a blessing. Can't forget this. And I will bless those who bless you favor Pharaoh blessing Joseph because Joseph blessed Pharaoh. But I will also, those who dishonor you, I will curse. See, God says, my protective hand is on my people. And whoever treats you well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to treat them well. But whoever dishonors my people, I will curse them. This is what we see in the book of Exodus, right? The moment Pharaoh goes up against not even Moses or Israel, he goes up against God. He's going to experience the curse. You can't oppose God. Why? The battle belongs to the Lord. And no power can ever stand against our God. And you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what's interesting is in Genesis 12, it's repeated again in Genesis 15, it's repeated again in Genesis 17, it's repeated again in Genesis 20, 22, that God is going to make his people into a great nation. But as God forms this great nation, it is not necessarily always going to be an easy journey. Genesis chapter 15, if I can remind us from last week, right, verses 13 through 14, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring, they're going to be sojourners in a land that will not be theirs, and not, will be servants, they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted. This is hundreds of years before Exodus chapter 1. Just so you know, you're going to go into a foreign land, you're going to be servants there, and it's not going to be easy. You're going to be afflicted for 400 years. Who's signing up for this journey? Who's saying, yeah, God, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, suffer persecution and I'll experience suffering for your name for 400 years? Who wants to sign up for that? Not me. I don't even go to the dentist and sit comfortably in the show when they're doing the basic cleaning on my teeth. Can I get an amen from anybody? I am an anti-dentite, just so you guys know. So, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So God says, way in advance. This is what your history looks like. You're going to go to a foreign land. You're going to be afflicted there for 400 years. But just so you know, my God, your God, is going to look after you, and, they, and God will curse 
those who do you mistreatment and do you harm. Israel's promise, that's, there it is. That's the promise that God's going to make him to a great nation. But there's two things I want to tease out when it comes to Israel's promise and, and Pharaoh's favor. There's the creation mandate. Look at verse 7. Oh, no, verse 6 and of Exodus chapter 1. Joseph died and all his brothers and all the generations. Because Joseph was the youngest, he was probably the last one to die. Buried his dad. Buried his brothers. Buried their wives. Right? He was, he was really the last. And all of a sudden we have this, uh, this, this word here in verse 6. Joseph died. He was 110 years old. And, and if you remember back in, at the end of Genesis, if you just want to turn the page, he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. But his desire before he died was just like, don't leave me embalmed and my bones in Egypt. Carry me to, to the promised land. This, this, this is not my home, right? So, so when I'm dead and gone and you have me in a box or whatever, just carry me out of here, right? That's all I ask. And so verse 7 then says, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and multiplied. What is, what is that? What is that? spark in you what does that say when you hear those words be fruitful and multiply was it adam and eve genesis chapter 1 verse 28 what israel's doing is they're fulfilling what we call the creation mandate that god is going to bring about a relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage and says procreate fill the earth and i will bless this work to be fruitful and multiply. Perhaps there's no greater responsibility we have as humans created in the image of God than to be fruitful and multiply. Can I get an amen? Now, I understand that there are some people that are unable to be fruitful and multiply. I get that. My wife and I dealt with infertility for almost 10 years. And then, praise God, all of a sudden, boom, it happened. And then it happened a second time. And then it happened a third time. Then we're like, all right, pump the brakes. What's going on here? Right? But... If you are able, here's what God says, reproduce, make more men and women in my, created in my image, bring them into the world. This is God's plan for, for the world. Of, anything that stands in the way of human flourishing is not of God. Hear what I'm saying between the lines. Any relationship that does not involve being fruitful and multiplying is against the design of God. We do not support same-sex relationships in the sense of being God's creation order. It's unable to happen. We don't support the idea of uh, eliminating human life. We believe in the sanctity of life. We're going to talk about this next week and at some length. We believe that we have a voice to speak for those who are voiceless, i.e. the unborn. Because why? God has created this world to be fruitful and multiply. We get to do it because we're creating more and more little boys and girls that are created in the image of God. There's no other aspect of creation like that. And when you have a culture that ceases to understand God's creative order, you have a culture that is soon to implode on itself. You destroy marriage, and you destroy unborn babies, you destroy the culture. Israel is living the creation mandate. Israel is, create, is, is creating babies, right? Because we have a creative God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you don't love people who perhaps are in a, a same-sex attractive relationship. You love them. You minister to them. But when you have an opportunity to say, but there's a better way. There's a better way. Thank God we don't live in a culture yet that is just so bent on just doing whatever my feelings and my urges dictate. There's this thing called self-control that is severely lacking in our world. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you act on it. Okay? 
We have a lot to learn about exercising self-control, understanding the owner's manual of my life. If my car runs on gas and I think, well, I feel like putting milk in it, how long is that vehicle going to run? Good luck. Shamrock might be banking on the fact that there's some guy in Chandler putting milk in his car. It's not going to last long. So there's a creation mandate that there's a people who entered Egypt, Joseph and his family, who numbered 70 people who, when they left, numbered 2 million. Ladies and gentlemen, God is making a great nation. God is blessing the people who say, we want to honor your design of us. And God repeats this throughout Genesis, right? With Abraham, with Noah, create, be fruitful, multiply. But there's also with the creation mandate a consecration mandate. That as you're being fruitful and multiplying, you're also living as a set-apart people. You know what I love about Joseph? is He's one of the characters in Scripture that you really can't find any sort of sinful act done by him. You realize there's, there's a handful of people you like, there's nothing negative written about these guys. Now, they're few and far between, just like in this room. Like, I could probably think... There's a lot of, I can more than make up what's lacking negatively in your life, in my life. Can I get an amen? No, you're not supposed to say amen that. <laughs> but you look at Joseph, you look at Daniel, you look at Job. Three men that you're hard-pressed to find any blatant sin in their life. Now, we can kind of tit-tat argue about that, but it's interesting. Joseph was a man of impact and influence. Can you write those, note, those words down in your Bible? Because I don't think Joseph's the only one that God wants to be a person of impact and influence. I think he wants you to be people who are of impact and influence. See, Joseph was there. He wasn't asked to worship the Egyptian gods. He was able to be faithful to his God. And he lived faithfully worshiping his God, following his God in a foreign context, and still found favor with Pharaoh. You know what that's called? It's called being diplomatic. It's being gentle and being respectful. It's being, hey, Pharaoh, I know you had a dream, and I know you can't interpret that dream, and somehow maybe your gods fall far short of the ability to do that, but let me just tell you about the God I, I worship and how I'm going to interpret your dream. And he's like, whoa, wow. Did Pharaoh begin to worship his God? No, but he was present in a positive way. May we as Christians be present in a positive way in our culture. Right? The world is hungry for, for direction and wisdom and answers, and they're not going to get it on Fox or CNN or whatever news feed you read. They're only going to get it from the people of God who are plugged in with the Spirit of God, who are basing their lives on the Word of God. There's no other wisdom out there that is worthy of His glory and the, and the importance of human flourishing. So here's Joseph who has a position of privilege, and he is making a positive impact in his culture. But oh, if things would just remain just as it is. Aren't we just, aren't we just longing for things just to be status quo? Aren't we just like going, please, Lord, it's, we're in such a good spot right now. Don't let anything change. The moment you say, God, don't change anything, is the moment God says, oh, wait, What? Because you know what God knows about our hearts? When things are just kind of status quo, we begin to be a little less affectionate of him. We begin to be a little bit more comfortable and easy in this world. And, and with Israel, they started settling in with Egypt and lost a passion for Canaan. Look at verse 8. Point number two. Israel's prosperity and Pharaoh's fear. Verse 8, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Circle that verse, ominous words indeed, right? Because you have this idea like, uh-oh, new administration. How many of us love new administrations? Probably not a lot of you, depending on which, way, which area of the political spectrum you lie. But new administration means, uh-oh, there's going to be a cleaning of house. 
There's going to be hiring and firing. There's going to be new programs. There's going to be taxes going one way or the other, right? Somehow a new administration is going to affect us. And this administration, the writer wants you to know, did not know Joseph, which tells you how powerful Joseph's position was. Did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Uh-oh, fear is, is, is coming to the surface, and perhaps an exaggeration on Pharaoh's part, there's more of them than us, and they're more powerful than us. Tell you what, any administration built on fear is going to be destructive. Any administration that capitalizes on someone's fear is a destructive administration. Can I get like an amen just simply because it's like, hmm, maybe we can consider things currently. (laughs) Here's the amazing thing about scripture, right? Things that were going on 3,500 years ago are no different than things that go on today. Look what happens. Come, verse 10, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and in the event of war they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So you see how the fear is building? Guess what's going to happen? And again, Israel hasn't done anything to warrant the fear from the new administration. But all of a sudden, insecurity sets in and goes, uh uh-oh. I may lose my job. We may lose our language. We may lose our ethics. We may lose our morals. We may may lose our books. We may lose our education. We may lose our taxes. This is going to affect my family. This is going to affect my pocketbook. This is going to affect my small business. This is going to affect my school. Oh, no. Who wants to live like this? People who will use propaganda to protect themselves when there's no semblance of their protection in reality. Nothing's reflected in this, right? But all of a sudden, Pharaoh starts saying, hey, guys, we better do something because this could turn really, really nasty. How many of our problems are stem from not reality but from imaginary things? They're going to multiply. We're going to put a stop to their multiplying. You know what that says? I'm going to put a stop to God's mandate on their lives. I'm going to step in and not, get, again, be against them. I'm going to be against the God who has commanded them to live this way. Woo! We'll talk more about civil disobedience next week. Verse 11, so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's storage cities named Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. Whoa, come on now. You try to stand against God? He's going to come in and be like, oh, you think you're going to stop me? He made it even more populous with Israel, right? He's, I think Pharaoh's going, if we keep them busy with work, they won't be busy in bed, therefore they won't make more babies. But for some reason, they had more work, and they still found time to make more babies. Come on, give it up. And then all of a sudden, he's like, this isn't working. Why? Because God is a God who is all about human flourishing. And this is God's way to say, you think you can stop me, Pharaoh? See, again, the battle's not against Pharaoh and Israel. The battle's not against Pharaoh and ultimately Moses. The, Pharaoh, the battle's between Pharaoh and God. And we need to be reminded of this. Because somehow we always make it about us. We always make it about us. And your battle's not against flesh and blood. Paul says in Ephesians 6, your battle's against unseen forces. Because you know what's at work in this? is the fact there's an enemy who's trying to stop God's people from flourishing and ultimately redemption that's found in God's son who is yet to come on the scene. You know what the saints have been trying to do from the very beginning? Stop the Messiah from being born. And you know what the devil knows better than us? All the promises of God. And you know what God, you know, the devil's trying to do in us? Prevent us from knowing the promises of God. So look what's happening. Pharaoh becomes a pawn that is going to be right toe-in-toe with the, the work of, of the enemy. But God is orchestrating this to allowing it to happen 
Why? Because before he already promised in Genesis 15 that you're going to be afflicted because there's a twofold purpose here, right? He's going to be shown to be great and that his promises can never be thwarted. And secondly, he wants God's people, though in this world you may suffer, don't worry, he's going to redeem you. He will rescue you. He will deliver you. This is what we have to keep in mind. When things get difficult, right? For Israel, Egypt is not the promised land. For Americans, America's not the promised land. Right? The fact that we are happy here, sometimes we lose a longing for the promised land, our eternal home. Can I just say, be careful with how far your, your roots go down in this world because you were not made for this world. You were made for someplace else. So may your affections be less for here and more for there. Because it's going to save you a lot of headache and heartache. There's a Pharaoh who knows not Jesus. And soon there's going to be a nation, uh, a Pharaoh that knows not Joseph. And there's going to be a nation that knows not Joseph. They're going to become more and more Egyptianized, if that's a word. They're going to become more and more immersed in the culture. They're going to become more and more a less set-apart people. And God is going to disrupt that. You know why sometimes God allows suffering? For us to regain a proper perspective. You're not made for, you're strangers and foreigners and, and aliens. You're not made for this world. But while you are here, be that person that has an impact and influence. We have to remember that we're not always going to be here. Here's the thing I don't know if J Joseph understood. We cannot be hopeful and place our hope in, in one person. I think Joseph was the celebrity Christian at the time, right? And, and people were like, we love Joseph. Look what he's done for us. And then all of, a, just, all of a sudden, Joseph dies. Who steps up? No one. You know, you're one generation from the extinction of the church, one generation away from the church of having no presence in our culture. You know what that says to me? We need to do a better job of training up and disciplining godly men, godly women, to carry on the torch of being the presence of the church that this, this world needs. You know what I'm saying? We don't relegate our, our, the education of our kids to our, our youth pastor as much as, as wonderful as Davey is. We have a responsibility as parents to raise our kids so that they can have an impact and influence on our culture. Right? Not everyone is going to be Pastor Scott or Herb Gregg or Lori Morgan or Ryan, you know, Schuler. All of us have a responsibility to say, I need to have this, 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 this influence and I need to have this impact because I'm not always going to be here. Right? Those words that did not know Joseph should be haunting. Yeah, they didn't know Joseph, but I'll tell you what, they know the Jesus of Joseph. They know the God of Joseph and it's carried on in his kids. There's a responsibility on us. I was talking to someone the other day that, you know, when it comes to impact and influence, you ever wonder how you're doing as far as how you're living your life? And I had a, a friend of mine who, not a believer, but he's a customer, and we were sitting over there uh, talking this week, and he said, hey, my wife and I were talking about you for about five minutes last night. I was like, oh, yeah, what about? He goes, well, we turned on, and, you know, you always got to be like, okay, wait, what? We turned on television, and Joel Osteen popped up. And to me, I'm like, Really? Is this where we're going with this? Like, you're going to, he goes, I just, Joe, and he had never heard of Joel Osteen. And again, you know what? I have issues with Joe Osteen, right? It's a lopsided gospel. It's all good, and there's really no bad until you really won't understand the good until you understand the bad. And so, like Paul in the Philippians 1, you know what? If he's preaching Jesus, I may not agree with how he's doing it, but he's doing it. Okay, whatever. He'll stand before God one day. Enough said. So he says, so we were watching Joel Osteen. And my buddy turned to his wife and said, this guy seems fake. Joel Osteen seems fake. And with his pearly whites and his big house and his jet, whatever, right? His, he just seems to exude like prosperity and money. And he says to his wife, you know what I love is that there's a guy named Scott Morgan in my life. That is not that. He loves Jesus. And he's the real deal. And he sat and he told me this. And I was just like, inside, like I had some, you know, some, some butterflies and some, you know, some. But I was just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And again, I'm not perfect. I'm only saying this because to hear a non-believer say, 
thank you for showing something of your faith that looks different than this guy. And then in the very next minute, I totally failed in that and did something. No, I didn't. <laughs> That's what happens, though, right? Like, it's like, oh, thank you. And then, <laughs> but I, I praise God for that because I pray for this person. We've had discussions and we've had talks. And he's been hurt by Christians. And I just sit there and go, Lord, I don't know how you want to use me in this, but, but use me for your glory. Because let me just say, this is not about me. And this is not about Joel. And this is not about you. This is about Jesus. And it's, about the t- it's about time that the church represents something better than it really is, is representing. Um, two things in this. Change is to be expected, right? How many of us forget, right? Uh, Mark Twain was the one that said, the only one that likes change is a wet baby. So amen, Mark Twain. Uh, no, none of us like change, but again, there's a, there's a new boss in town. There's a new president. There's a new owner. Um, and no matter what changes, here's the thing that I think Israel's going to learn. Obedience to God is always an advantage over any opposition your enemy throws at you. Right? No matter what happens around you, as a believer, nothing should change within you in the sense of your allegiance to God. Right? Because there's going to be a reordering of Israel's place in society. Because there's a, there's a Pharaoh that knows not Joseph. <laughs> Things are going to change. And it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be good. Uh, it's going to be painful, but that doesn't mean God's not working. Which is why the second point is important. Certainty is to be redirected. The essence of a believer's faith is not certainty, it's trust. Can you write down that word trust? Because unless you understand the character of God and the promises of God, nothing is certain. Right? We grow into these practices day to day that we expect things to be certain. I'm going to wake up and my car's going to start. We're going to go to work and my boss is going to be nice. We're going to, we're going to go to the store and everything's going to be in stock and nothing's going to be out of right? There's all these things we set up, right? And the moment something's not certain, we're, we're crushed. Your certainty doesn't lie in the new administration. Your certainty doesn't lie in the fact that all the laws of the land are going to work according to your favor. Your certainty is only in two things. The character of your God and his promises for your life. That's called trust. This is something that we all have to learn. This is something that we all have to embrace. That God is the only one who is ever constant and ever self-giving in the midst of any of our circumstances. Here's the one thing you will discover about the God of Moses, the God of Scott, the God of, 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 of Ezra. It's this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what you may be going through, feast or famine, fire or storm, God is there. Right? He doesn't promise a life free from affliction, but I'll tell you what, he does promise you a life full of his affection if you stay plugged in with him. And this is something that Israel's going to learn because changes at work. There are changes all around us, things that happen without us even knowing that they're coming down the pike, a death in the family that all of a sudden reorders things. There's all of a sudden stuff going on at work that we don't know if we're going to go in and have a job tomorrow. There's things going on in our marriages that we don't even know if we're going to be married a week from now. So it's easy to really fall into that place where despair and defeat and devastation are, are speaking more loudly than God's, God's voice. And I want to remind you that there's a God who says, stop looking at your stuff and start looking to me. Last point is this. So there's Israel's prosperity, Pharaoh's fear, and then it gets worse. Israel's persecution and Pharaoh's fury. Because eventually you will discover that your values in Christ do not val- measure the, uh, match up to the values of our culture. Values in Christ will always compete with the values of culture. And this is what we see here, right? Because he doubles down. 
and says that in verse 12, right, all of a sudden they're multiplying more. And all of a sudden that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Dread. Were they really in dread? Again, propaganda. So what does he set out to do? He's going to ratchet up the temperature. He's going to increase the problems. Look at verse 13. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Can't you feel the weight of it? Like in those verses, like, okay, I'm feeling it. Right? So this is a group that's moved from favor to disgrace. This is a, a group that is experiencing discrimination. And when discrimination sets in, this is not healthy for culture. Notice the movement here. Fear turns into hate, then turns into subjugation. Or if I can rephrase it, it is really prejudice that turns into persecution that's going to turn into genocide. Does this sound like familiar patterns some, at some point in human history? And, and again, we don't relegate this to, to Egypt 3,500 years ago. We don't relegate this just to, to, to Germany 80 years ago. Is my math right? Okay, okay whatever. We don't, we don't go, this has nothing to do with us today. There's discriminatory language and prejudicial language that is being spoken today, and some of us are buying into it. And we need to be careful. Because there's things that today, political and economic slavery, that we need to realize that we are called to protect people. We are not called to persecute people. Do you know people that uh, are, are unprotected in our culture? There are people, you may not agree with them, but they're unprotected. I Literally, five minutes before my conversation with my friend this week, I had this conversation, five minutes. A guy came up to me and said, are you the owner? I was sitting right where Ryan is. Ryan, raise your hand right there. It was like a, a moment, God, it was like a brief God moment, literally one minute. Guy comes up to me and goes, are you the owner of this place? And, and anytime someone says, are you the owner, I'm, I go, maybe. Because <laughs> I'm coy like that, right? He said, my son is, my, my child is trans, and they meet here with other trans kids, and I want you to know, thank you for providing a safe place for them. Now, what I didn't do is jump down his throat and be like, you're a horrible parent, and you know, blah, 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 whatever. He goes, thank you for providing a safe place for my, my kid. And I said, you're welcome. That's the philosophy behind what we do. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you're wrestling, whatever. You're welcome here. And at that time, I was wearing my Count Zinzendorf shirt, which has a big cross on it, and it says, um, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And he says, thank you for providing this place. I said, you're welcome. He looks at my shirt and goes, are you a religious man? And I said, I'm a man of faith, loves Jesus. He goes, can I give you a hug? We haven't even exchanged names. But I, I get up and I hug him. And there's something that happened in that momentary relational transaction that said something to me that he only wanted a hug after he knew that I was religious and still loved his kid, or at least provide a place for his kid. That somehow there's a deeper storyline going on here where the people who be the, should be treating people most humanely haven't. People who, are, who should be prone to discrimination are, i.e. the church. And he walked away at that moment and said, I would love to hear more of this story soon. And I said, anytime, I'm here. I'm looking forward to having a follow-up. Finding out this guy's name. I, just, I still don't know his name. <laughs> but the fact is this, praise God for a, the presence of people who are not coming out with guns a-blazing to prove why you're wrong and your lifestyle's corrupt and this or that, right? We can talk about those things without being nasty and being unchristlike. 
How many times did Jesus have civil conversations with people that were living lifestyles that he didn't agree with? He still loved them. That's why he had that moniker attached to him, friend of sinners and tax collectors. Man, when's the last time you were, oh, there's, there's, there's Greg. He's the friend of trans and, and homosexuals. Some of you are like, oh, I don't want that title. Why not? This is, this is an exciting life. This is an exciting world to live in if you are connected to God and realize you are here for something way beyond you. People want to know that they are loved. And they want to know that there's forgiveness. And they want to know that people are kind. And they want to know that as a human, they can be accepted. That doesn't mean you put your sample approval on anything, but at the the mere base of it all, we are all created in God's image and worthy of value and dignity and respect. Amen? Amen. Only insecure people who are driven by fear want to squash anyone else that's not like them out. Stop. Stop. When, when God has his, his plan with a group of people, nothing's going to stop his plan. Um, the people of Israel flourished <laughs> under persecution. Just like the China, you know, the largest church in the world is the church in China. Who under communist regime are growing like crazy. Right? Do not consider the things that are happening in our culture that you may not agree with as not being used by God to bring about something great. That doesn't mean we don't speak to certain issues. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying so many times I think people are, they're, they're, they're less interested in our politics and, and more moved by the faith we have in a God behind it all. Right? Let me remind you of four things as we close that I think will remind us of kind of... Our, our, our place in this world, our responsibilities in this world, and they really echo the words of Jesus. Imagine that, learning something from Jesus. May, may we all do that at some point in our lives, right? And this is really to be continued into next week, but first and foremost, can I encourage you that you are in the world, right? Jesus says you're here, right? The, 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 your presence here is, uh, is, is only by God's design, right? It's only by God's plans and purposes. You are here in this world. So recognize you're here. But also recognize number two, but you're not of the world. Meaning what? Because you are set apart by God's providential love, you are to look different. You're to act different. You're to speak different. Your marriage is to look different. Your kids are to hopefully look different, right? All the things you value. You're not chasing things like your non-believing neighbor's chasing, right? You're not voting necessarily from a place that has no regard for God, right? As, I, as we talk about politics, right? And just so you know, we're going to talk about politics a lot this year because guess what? we got some elections coming up. And I want you guys to be really, really wise in this, right? We're not of the world. And, and you don't vote as if this world's the only world you have. As believers, you know what? You, you cast your vote. You exercise your, your responsibility as a citizen. But recognize, too, that we are destined for another, better, greater home. Right? So, so we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. You're to be set apart. That's what it means to be holy. And all of us are a work in progress when it comes to holiness. Third, don't forget this, we are sent to the world. Lest you think your Christian life is impassive, right? You, you know, you're just kind of like, um, uh, you know, I just sit on my, I go to church on Sunday, and then I sit on my armchair and watch Christian movies and read Christian books, and I'm just happy in my little Christian bubble. I go, you're missing out. You're missing out of, of connecting with a dad who's got a trans kid. And you're missing out of connecting with a guy who's only seen negative uh, portrayals of Christianity. And God wants you to be something different. Like Jesus says to his disciples in John 20, as the Father sent me into the world, now I send you into the world. So you're sent into the world, what? To accomplish your agenda? To establish your kingdom? No. This is about God. Right? You're to live a life like Joseph to somehow in the corridors of Egypt with the power of Pharaoh right in front of you say, you know what, I may not agree with your, your, your religion and your spirituality and all your ethics, but I'm here and I want, I've been blessed to bless you. 
And so you exist to help people understand that there's some, something greater for them. There's a God who wants relationship with them. There's a God who wants to reorganize your life because what you're living now apart from him is not satisfying, and you know it. Only those who are plugged in with Christ really understand, yeah, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Now I can really understand life because of him. If I could, I don't have a C.S. Lewis quote on the radar, but I have it now. I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun has risen, not because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Lewis says, I only until I understood the love of God in Jesus Christ could I truly understand my life in reality. Last point is this. We are hated by the world. Jesus says, if the world hates me, well, how do you think you're going to fare? <laughs> it's going to hate you too. And again, we don't return hate for hate. This is the difficult thing of being Christ-like, is that though he was despised, though he was reviled, though he was attacked, he didn't do that in return. And he could have, and been totally just and right to do it, but he didn't. So instead, even though our values in Christ clash with the values of our culture, you can still be God-honoring in your conduct. The world may hate you. I pray that you would turn that into love toward them, forgiveness towards them, somehow to, somehow, some kind of Jesus presence for them. Love those who love you. Love those who hate you. Pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. All the above. You're going to see how this is played out in Exodus in the weeks and months to come. But here's the good news. There is one who is afflicted far greater than you've been afflicted. And his name is Jesus. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he gets it. <laughs> and he invites you to come to him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, you're going to find rest. You're going to find acceptance. You're going to find a God who has been in it, has gone through it, and now leads you out of it. Because someday, he's going to bring you into his eternal home that even right now he's preparing for those who love him. And all God's people said, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for putting a song on our lips. Thank you for putting love in our hearts. Thank you for your spirit, which is connecting us with your truth. Lord, help us to resemble Jesus. Help us to trust him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to, to understand, God, you've got a plan. And even when your plan doesn't make sense, help us to continue to trust your character and your promises. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness towards us. Help us to love as you have as loved us and help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Help us to be those, those agents of Christ in our world that is in desperate need of you. Thanks for today, for being so good to us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day, you guys.